Hello, good evening and welcome. <laughs> I don't even know what the date is. Is it about the 7th? 6th, 6th, is it? Okay, I thought it was the 7th. No wonder I couldn't make anything tie up this morning. Right, let's just have a prayer then and see where the Lord will take us. Father, thank you. Simply trusting that is all. I'm just, I'm trusting, Father, that I'm going where you want to go. I'm trusting that we're doing what you want us to do. I'm just trusting, Father, just you turn my tap off any time you like. Because what we want, Father, is what you want to do here today. We want hearts to be lifted, eyes to be focused, hearts to be filled with the joy of, of your provision and the knowledge that where there's a problem, there's always provision. Because that's the way you work. So, Father, show us where we are right now. Show us how to move on in the processes of God, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what we're actually going to be looking at is a crisis to process, which involves cycles of intimacy. Um, everything starts and ends with God. And we cannot get away from it. And as I said, if we loop out of that, we loop into trouble. Um, because it says in, in uh, Jeremiah, doesn't it? My people have dug their own systems, broken systems, systems that don't hold water. And the whole goal of the enemy is to take you out of the place that Christ, uh, uh, that God has put you in, which is in Christ. So his whole goal is to shake you and to make you move from that position of security. So if you've got anything working in your life right now that is trying to move you from that position, you can tell who's doing it. That's what his work is. That's what he's allowed to do. He's allowed to shake you, rattle you and to roll you in order for God to secure you and anchor you in himself. So we go from crisis to process. I make no apology for using Graham's stuff on this because uh, I felt that the, the this was where the Lord was leading me and the e teaching is excellent. And a lot of us are in the transformation cycle right now where you get a declaration of God over your life and you think, brilliant. I'm in it right now myself declaration over my life this is what God is going to do I'm plunged immediately into distress everything goes in the reverse order and I'm thinking just as I thought I could set my sights I've got a clear focus I know where I'm going whoopie doo I'm right up against a wall and I'm thinking hello what's happened here well if I use my distress correctly it'll develop me if I don't use it correctly, I'll stay in that distress and then I get into like a cycle of distress because God will keep taking you round the same thing till you see that what he's trying to do in that is develop you. And when you're developed to his satisfaction, there will be a demonstration of the word that was spoken over you. One of the things people do not understand about prophetic words is that they speak sometimes to many years ahead and the right decisions made along the way. They're not automatic. I remember there was a young lad in um, 
when we were in the Genesis group and he had tremendous prophecies over his life. I mean, they were tremendous. And Joyce and I looked at one another and thought I'd like a couple of those, you know. Then he went completely away from the Lord. So I said to the Father, what about those prophecies? And he said, they're not automatic. They're dependent on the choices that he makes. And that, of course, leads us all into the whole business of inheritance and, 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 and coming into that which God has got for you. You get to choose your responses in any given situation. You get to choose. You can have a pout and a tantrum. You can get angry, but you do have a choice. I've been much exercised over stuff that's been going on um, with folks that I'm sort of, sort of overseeing, for want of a better word. And I cannot get to I still am not at the best bottom of it, and it really consumes quite a lot of my thinking. But I think, basically, the problem with the person is about choices. In fact, God said to her the other day, she dumped all her anger on her children, uh, and he said to her, you're behaving just like your brother. And look how you spoke about your brother. You've got a choice. You can dump your anger on your kids, or you can choose not to be angry. And if you choose not to be, believe me, you won't be. It's totally, once you're born again, you have got a choice. You never had a choice before you got one now. You, uh, virtually the choice is, am I going to live in my old nature, or am I going to live in the new? We have got a new DNA. We get to choose which DNA we live in, the natural or the spiritual. And life in the spirit is all about change. had a lady here with me from Thursday to Monday, middle day. And if she used the word challenge once, she used it every other word. I was challenged about that. I'm really challenged about that. I'm and Joyce said to me, you know what challenge means, don't you? Call to account. I said, well, yeah. But I didn't mention it to her. Because she belonged to a big black church, or I say a big black church, it sounded as though it was sizable, over um, in East London somewhere. Uh, and... Uh, God had been challenging her quotes over the years until finally she was in leadership. Finally, she was just completely, pretty well, banging on empty, running on the fumes, as we say. And she came over here. And the Lord treated her like Elijah. You know, he fed her, he watered her, and he left it two or three days before he started talking to her because she'd allowed herself to get so exhausted and totally did not understand the processes of God. I think she understands a bit better now, and to her credit, she says she she rejoices, but that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Um, how do I say this? Maybe I don't say it yet. Anyway, to her credit, it's going to be uh, not going to be easy, and she's going to have to stick to some of the moral choices that I pointed out to her while she was here. Um, because from what I see broadly of the Church of Jesus Christ, immorality, and I don't necessarily mean sexually, uh, is very high on the agenda. Dishonesty, outright stealing, fornication, 
adultery, all the sexual sins you can think of, it's all in there. Uh, and even the, with the churches where um, the father heart has been taught, they're now looking at the fact of discipleship. And I was horrified to hear the other day, and I don't know whether this is true, so I have to say it's, it's apocryphal, if you like, um, that the congregation was asked if they'd got any ideas on how to deci on discipleship. It's absolutely appalling to be throwing it out to the congregation to find out if they've got any ideas how to disciple people. And I understand that the church is losing people quite fast. God's changing, you see, and if the leadership of our churches don't understand that he's moving into a different phase, then when he changes, he turns his back on what he's just done. He's not having anything to do with that. So we're moving out of the charismatic and the renewal movement and we're moving into something new. And the intercessors, the worshippers uh, and the prophetic will be the three first over the line because they're the ones that live closest to the heart of God. So they will be hearing what God is saying and saying, come this way, walk this way. They're like the Pied Piper. They'll be playing a tune. The intercessors, the worshippers... And the prophetic will be first over the line. I thought it was ever so interesting what Martin spoke about last week because you get singing from the same hymn sheet. I was really surprised. I thought he was going to get you guys prophesying over each other. That's how much I knew about what he was going to do. And I thought, oh, they're in for one long teach. <laughs> and it really, really surprised me. So, okay cycle of transformation we cannot get away from these things god takes us from crisis to process and these are all cycles of intimacy there's about five of them uh, this is the transformation cycle and each cycle has got i couldn't find this little card i've made a card somewhere i know i know i know has its point of worship and surrender if you see those at the two points one either side worship and surrender Pleasure and pain, achievement and suffering, weakness and power. So we can't get away from it. Pleasure and pain, suffering and weakness are all part of what God will do with us. I was reading something of Bob Mumford's recently and he said, um, he'd met a friend of his who was at college with, I think, and he said, how's it going? He said, oh, it's do, doing uh, well. He's still preaching the same message, which was the cross, you see. And he said, uh, oh, yes, I'm still preaching, uh, you know, come to Jesus and uh, all that. He said, but I've dropped the suffering bit because it affects the offering. <laughs> Half a gospel. And one of the reasons why we don't understand when we come into difficulties is either we haven't had a proper gospel at all or we get half a gospel. So you sort of straddle two streams, really. You've got the, um, if I dare may say, the Anglican-type church where, where you get your alpha course and, and it's all laid out for you and you make a decision at the end of the day and that's that. Or you get the renewal side of it where it's all father heart and it's all lovey-dovey and it's all, you know just come to Jesus and get your needs met and neither of them are complete they're both half a gospel uh, the Anglican church needs to know the heart of God because mostly they're they're breeding 
um, cerebral believers and the other ones are breeding people who've got all heart and no understanding. So God is bringing like a, um, a, a plumb line, dropping it down the center and saying, right now it's time to line up with me and see what my purposes are. That's why I said when you came in, welcome to boot camp. Things are going to start to get difficult and we need to actually be in alignment with what he wants to do, confident in our God, no matter what the circumstance looks like. Joyce and I have had a circumstance here this week again, which revolved around Joyce's physical health. And it looked as though she was going to actually be knocked right out of the arena for quite a while because it looked as though there was something really that needed dealing with. Uh, so we had to go through the process of how do we, do we, are we trusting God's quote for this? But we had no word from the Lord to do that. That's another thing. You don't just trust God, hang on a promise, if he hasn't given it you. That's presumption and you're just setting yourself up for disappointment. So we prayed about this and I said to Joyce, I think that your way forward is to go to the GP. God has not said, don't go, I'm going to heal you. Uh, so to her amazement she rang Monday morning was it um, because of the nature of the problem she wanted to see a lady doctor guess what our doctor's on holiday she'd have to see a lady oh whoopee so at 20 past 11 on Monday morning she gets her appointment we'd done our praying on Sunday Monday she gets the appointment and I I could not be concerned about any of it, it could have meant collapse we've got the school coming up we've got people coming galore and the whole reliance of the physical aspect of this place is Joyce and I could not move from saying father I'm confident there is a problem you have a solution I have no idea what it is but I can't get worked up about this thing I'm really sick, solid in the fact that you wanted the summer school you're going to provide Somehow, though, mm -mm. she came back from the doctors and I was upstairs, I think, in my usual place. And uh, it was nothing. She got some antibiotics. Uh, there is a slight physical problem, but it was certainly not what we both thought. And it's certainly not. She's been like a whirling dervish ever since. Straight out in the garden there and... Half the garden was ending up on the lawn. I, someone rang and I said, well, I just looked out the window and half the garden's on the lawn. I said, Joyce is um, going for it there, good and strong, you know. Uh, and so that, that which I was... Uh, and someone gave a prophetic word over her that knew nothing about anything. Someone that we had uh, a sort of a crisis at the weekend with someone that came over here and stayed. Uh, and they're prophetic and and I said you have got a prophetic word for Joyce so put your hands on her and speak into this please and she out of her mouth came um, something along the lines of that which you see as a mountain is a molehill and it was a molehill come Monday morning wasn't it wasn't it Joyce it was absolutely incredible the way the prophetic just spoke into that situation with absolutely no knowledge at all uh, God, what I was doing on uh, over the weekend was just expressing my confidence. Just saying, Father, you don't change. I'm so confident that you've got an answer. I can't see what it is, but that is fine. That's absolutely fine. I don't need to see. 
We've got to come to the place where we rest on the character of God uh, and not be tossed to and fro, up and down, every change of circumstance. We've got to get into the rhythm of God, find out what it is he's doing in our lives and flow with that because it's like a dance that we're doing with him. Sometimes he does slow dances and sometimes he does quick dances. Sometimes he does a rumba. And sometimes it's a samba. Sometimes he's spinning you round and round. You think you're on the spin cycle. You know, I've, I've written that down here. But there's so many cycles that you can be in all of them at once. And you think you're, you feel like a washing machine. You just, all you know is you're revolving at a high speed <laughs> in so many cycles. Because these cycles overlap. There's a cycle of transformation, which is this one. Uh, there is this, the relational cycle, which we are in all the time which is where he brings us into sonship, servanthood, friendship, slavery. And we can be in all these cycles at once. Let me have a little look. What's Graham saying? Tremendous teaching this is. Uh, there's, there's the life cycle, which he writes about in the book of um, Hiddenness and Manifestation, where he hides. He, he ma he's there one minute, and in distress he takes it all away, moves the scenery, one minute you're on in Las Vegas and your name's up there in lights and the next minute all you can see is grains of sand and you're stuck in the desert and not knowing what's happened. Right now he's just suddenly scene shifted on me. I thought I could see the way quite clearly forward and suddenly gone and I'm laughing because I'm thinking, I like this. I, I really quite like being in the desert with God. It's good. So it's... You get into hiddenness there, me hiding in him and him riding, hiding right next to me, as Graham will put it. There's another one here. The cycle of anointing. And that's where you get the manifestation and the outpouring and the move of God and then hiddenness where he does something else and he does it suddenly. You don't see it coming. You wake up one morning and it's all changed and you're thinking, as Graham says, I spelt I repented till I couldn't spell the word. You know, you're looking for everything to repent of. And in that, he makes you hungry for more of him. If we're sensible, whenever we come into something, we will turn immediately to him. Because as I said at the beginning, the, the idea of the enemy is to pull you out from where God has placed you in Christ. Anything to shake you out of that. The goal of the enemy is to take us out of what God has put us into. And the goal of the Holy Spirit is to keep us in the place of rest, security and anointing in Christ. That's the whole goal of it. And the enemy will use people, events, circumstances, temptations and opposition to destabilize us and make us focus on those things. He'll also use our own weakness and inadequacy to force us to worry, become angry, resentful, bitter, unbelieving, fearful anything to cause our old nature to rise up against God. Because that's his whole thing, is to get you 
once he's lost you to the kingdom of light and you've come out the kingdom of darkness he'll get you to rise up in that against God I mean I, I have to say that when things happen my first person I blame is God I'm trying to stop myself doing that but my instinctive reaction is to rebel against him and to say, well, you put me into this flipping situation. you know. <laughs> but I've got to get rid of that old nature that wants to rise up against him like that. And the Holy Spirit will use people, good and bad. See the similarity. Events, positive and negative. So it's the answer to your question, Carol. Circumstances, helpful and otherwise. Temptations, though he doesn't cause them. And oppositions, demonic and human, to cause us to look up and recognize the love and power of God. So what is his purpose in all of this? To allow this thing, these purposes to establish us in Christ. We had to look at it, didn't we, in Psalm 121. I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord. Your help ain't going to come from any other place other than him. And the Holy Spirit will establish us in Christ and promote the fruit of the Spirit. And literally his own character will come alive in us if we allow him. And as we submit to God, we partake of his nature no matter what life is throwing at us. So the whole cycle event is that problems either confirm the fact that we're living in Christ or establish that the fact that we aren't on this occasion just by our reaction to events or response in the Holy Spirit. What we need to look at as much as the problem is our response to it. How am I responding to this problem? What have I done? Gone down in a downward spiral again? Or have I waited till the word of the Lord comes? Something like Psalm 106 says, Until the word of the Lord came, the word of the Lord tested him. It's talking about uh, Joseph stuck in the dungeon in chains. And the word that God has over your life will test your life. I think, June, you, you've read You've read, read or reading Bob Mumford's book, aren't you, on uh, tra tests are necessary? Don't like it. And he goes in for the p three or four Ps in that, doesn't he? See, when we actually get into it and it happens to us, the first thing we do not think of is, the first thing we think of is, this is a problem. But the next thing we don't think of is, there's a promise in this and there's provision. We think, how can I solve this? What, what have I got to do? I, don't, I mean, I've done it so many times myself. So we're in a, a cycles with God, several at once, sometimes. Uh, and distress is part of the journey. Don't like it. You, I don't like it. You don't like it. But it, there it's there because it is in the distress that we grow. We do not grow on the high places. We grow in the valleys. We grow in the troubled places of life where we actually establish in our own hearts 
that he is for us and he will never leave us nor forsake us. That's where the establishment comes, where there's problems. Just going to stop for a minute, Carol, if that's okay. Go, go, go. Right, welcome back then. <laughs> yes, as I said, th I felt the Lord was talking to me about something while I was speaking about that, and I thought, yeah, I'll bring that in and tick, and lost it. Um, I've spoken to you before about um, Bob Mumford's uh, tapes for men, they were the ones for men, about Dirty Six, and I was frightened of <laughs> what the Dirty Six might be. But uh, over the last 24, 48, or oh, 72 hours, I've discovered a bit about what Dirty Six really means in, in, in practicality, of how it is so easy, um, and it happens a lot, I'm sure, that people go to church on Sunday, and they've done their little Sunday bit, and the rest of the week, the Dirty Six, the Monday to Saturday, uh, they live their lives just as though they're no different from the world. In fact, a lot, an, an awful lot worse. And I think that in these days, we, we need to develop uh, in the Holy Spirit not to be surprised about anything that is going to happen in the church. Uh, because the Lord's going to uncover this stuff, and he's not uncovering it so that we might be shocked about it, or that we might point the finger. He's uncovering it so that he can deal with it. So he will be uncovering things in your life that he wants to deal with, things that we'd really like to be like an ostrich and cover the old egg up, you know, hide it. But he actually wants to deal with it to bring us into a place of freedom. Um, because as I said before, anything that you can't let go of, you don't have it. It has you. It has you in a grip and it's a bondage. And God is going to, he's got you in a squeezed place. As it says, enter through the narrow gate. A lot of us are being squeezed right now. But, but that's okay. And our flesh does not like being squeezed. My flesh doesn't like being squeezed into a tight place at all. But the fact is that once you squeeze through that tight place, you pop out into freedom. And that is God's purpose for squeezing you through that narrow gate. Uh, you know, th um, there's a gate called the, the needle's eye, I think, in Jerusalem. And Jesus says, doesn't he? Uh, about go, going through the eye. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Well, what he was talking about was this gate in the wall of Jerusalem, where apparently the gate is so small and so low that you arrive in the middle of the night with your camel all loaded up. You've got to take everything off of your camel, get it down on its knees and shove it through the hole. <laughs> so it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. You then, you follow in, because... It's taking everything off to get you through that hole. Once you're through the hole and into the city, you're into a wide place, put your stuff back on your camel, and on you go into the city. Uh, but the fact of it is taking everything off that won't allow you to go through that camel's, the eye of a needle. And we come into this straight place, this narrow place, where everything that we have relied on and trusted in, and it's then that we get to find out where we're actually not trusting God. And there's a dear friend, dear pastor friend of mine that I know, when it came to that bit of trusting in money, God, trusting God for money, that was, that, was the, that was the ending point, if you see what I mean. That was a, I can't go there type of thing. 
So you can see, you can look around and you can see, I don't know where mine will come. I'm always saying, you know, Moses, look, he blew it right at the end. He blew his inheritance, actually. You see how easy it is to lose your inheritance? Uh, it's not so easy when you're a young Christian, when you know nothing and you haven't walked with God. But look at Moses. He saw him face to face. He saw the works. He saw the ways. He saw the provision. He saw everything. He was sorely tried by the Israelites. And anyone who aspires to leadership will be sorely tried by the Israelites. <laughs> Because why? Because that's part of your testing. So right at the last minute, when he's going to come into the promised land, into his inheritance, he blows it. God says, speak to the rock. He gets his staff out and strikes it and says, you gang of rebels. Blew it. Because his temper had not been brought under control. It's his anger that actually burst out at that point and it cost him going into the promised land but we see him again don't we on the Mount of Transfiguration Moses and Elijah so it didn't blow his eternal reward but it blew his opportunity to walk in his inheritance in this life he could have gone in there and seen that that was what they'd been going 40 years they'd been going around with this gang one lot all died off and they got right back to where they started again I don't know how many times round and round God took them and all those years in that barren place he provided food he provided water he provided clothing their shoes didn't wear out he hasn't changed but we do have to walk circumspect before him don't take this that God is going to be coming down on you like a ton of bricks. He isn't. But we do need to consider, what's my response like in this? How is my reaction here? Am I re responding or reacting? I want to be a responder. I want to be a thermostat, not a thermometer. A thermometer simply registers the rising temperature but a thermostat keeps it ev even so I will work to keep things at, the, at an even level but in doing that I will, will not be in denial I will address problems that I need to address I will front them up and confront if necessary but hopefully in love because I'm discovering that the position that God has put me in carries authority with it to correct to admonish for the good of the sheep not to beat the sheep, but to correct them. So anyone who ad aspires again to a leadership position, that is a good aspiration. But it carries with it tremendous responsibilities to rule your own spirit. Because the sheep will exasperate you. And I do not want to be like Moses and, and miss my inheritance in this life. Love, joy, peace, patience. What's, the, what's it say? Life in the Spirit. Righteousness, peace and joy. Those are three things you can live in. Righteousness, peace and joy. That's for now. That's for living in this life. Righteousness, peace and joy. I love those. But to do that, I've got to actually rule my own spirit. And when people are getting right up my left nostril, I've got to take another breath 
and respond. Doesn't happen all the time. I'm working on it. So people, God will put, we know about grace growers, that's another thing. God will put people around you that get on your nerves. I've, I've was reading that Graham again this morning here and he, he's talking about digging that hole. Have you heard the story of him um, down the, um, <laughs> when they were hard up, he took a job digging graves, which was fine until one morning, he's down this hole, um, digging a grave, he's got a dear somewhere. And he was talking about Joseph really. And find it. I just happened. I'm down this grave. Here he is. The third area is development. He's talking about the distress and development cycle. And distress and development work together. They're twins, two sides of the same coin, and they always go off together. When you're in distress, God's developing something in you. And he talked about Joseph and Pharaoh. But. Uh, when you're in distress, this is your major development opportunity from God. Graham, I've called you to this declaration. Suddenly, I'm in this situation, development of my character. Down the grave I'm digging, in the pouring rain, standing in six inches of water, and some rat has taken the ladder away. That's when I learned, at that point, whatever you do, you do it for an audience of one. I opened my arms and began to worship. In distress, my soul man was starved and my spirit man was now beginning to rise. God always takes me back to the grave because that's where I really met him. Before that, I'd made contact with him. Now I met him. I knew God was in the grave with me. From that moment, something broke in my heart and something changed. Many people fall into the trap of just complaining, backsliding, and using it as an excuse, excuse to do nothing. I was talking to the Lord about this bit this morning. We wear hurts and wounds like a cloak around us to stop us getting hurt again. Uh, but that's another issue. I was talking to the Lord about the conference that's coming up and how people do wear them because they would not know how to walk without it. They wear their hurts, their rejections, and their wounds because if God took that away, they'd have such a hole they wouldn't know how to be. Sounds harsh, but it's got to go. It's got to be cut out like a cancer. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. The point that I was trying to make there was that once we learn that everything we do, we do for an audience of one, takes the stress out of everything. We're not trying to please people. We're not trying to please our family. We're not trying to please anyone at him we're becoming father pleasers and everything we're doing we're doing it as the scripture says as unto the Lord so then it takes the stress away because it really doesn't matter to me whether people don't like or don't agree with what I'm doing if I know I'm doing what he wants me to do their opinion bless them doesn't matter it really doesn't because I have one who's smiling at me and giving me the thumbs up and saying, keep going in the direction you're going in. So it all comes back to your relationship with God. You cannot walk this walk without him being first. Can't do it. 
If you put anything else in the way, it'll have it out. <laughs> and when you go through that narrow place, you'll pop it off. So you can stay stuck in that narrow place as long as you like, really. Um, I mean, sometimes some of us, are, I used to say when I was first a Christian that I hadn't had a vaccination against discomfort because people seemed to think that I was saying, you know, it's roses, roses all the way. And as Bob Mumford was saying, nah. <laughs> he says, nah, not roses all the way. So when you come into distress, we need to go back to what he said. And it's at this point that the enemy will say, did God really say? And if you allow him, he will flay you unmercifully. He will really flay you. He'll get you eyeballing your circumstances rather than eyeballing your heavenly father. It's his whole work. Comes down to that one sentence, did God really say? Poor June's circumstance has given me my springboard for the message this morning, really, because I think that's what got the, the enemy's been saying to June: is Did God really say? Yeah. And the other thing about it is that when that scripture says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, what it is saying is we are very easily able to be deceived. That is not necessarily about what God is saying could be about what our church is doing. Leader says, we need to be doing this, and you think, oh, I don't know, I didn't think we need to be doing And then, Mum, we'll go with that. We are on the road to being deceived if we don't test the thing, pray about it. It all comes back to our own personal walk. There's all sorts of ways that the heart can be deceived. But what the enemy has tripped you up with is you're more concerned about the fact that you may have heard wrongly than you are about the situation that you're in so he's got you thinking well I've heard wrongly so the whole of it must be wrong God says go back to your terms of employment he brings you back to the word he spoke to you I mean the last thing I'm thinking of is June's terms of employment I thought they were brilliant I never had any as far as I'm aware it was just follow me that's it my terms of employment um but you go back to that. Never mind about anything else. Don't let your mind be led away onto whether you failed or miss her. It, we do. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. He is big enough. When the enemy does that, he gets our viewpoint and our focus on ourselves. And so what we're busy doing is, well, I must have heard everything wrong. No, don't flow the baby out with the bathwater. Just wait a minute. Have a look at the whole thing. Don't go overboard. Don't go down the tubes because all the while he's got you down there. If you allow him to be spinning around like a fly, I'm seeing, a, you know, when you've got a fly with the um, spray and it gets a dose of the medicine and it's going round and round on its back. If he can get you in that for 10 minutes... It's going to take you days to get out of it. If you allow him a foothold in your thinking, well, you got that wrong, didn't you? Yeah. What about everything else? Whoa. Oh, 
So then we go back and we're, oh, look at it. Up, oh. And you're digging a hole. And it takes some, it's like being down that grave that <laughs> uh, Graham was in. Of course, they took the ladder away. He's six foot down by now. The sides are all clay. He's got no grip. He's got to stand there and worship. Worship's got so many different connotations, you know. It's not just uh, having a uh, sing song and feeling better about it. It's what's going on in our hearts. And God is not upset, to hear me, by the situation you're in. Because he's probably orchestrated it. Spent a lot of time and money getting you into it. And you're, you're sitting there like, you know, thumb in mouth thinking, oh, oh. And he's saying, it's good, isn't it? I'll put you here. Oh, I can't hear you. Oh, no, no. It's terrible. Tell this old, don't know what to do. I don't know. First thing, just declare the greatness and the goodness and the kindness and the consistency and the mercy of your loving Heavenly Father. Because you are coming against what is the enemy is trying to do this morning um i don't know well no really but i woke up feeling like a piece of chewing string as is often the case yesterday completely blitzed my mind i didn't even remember that we got people arriving this afternoon <laughs> joyce said because they're coming to this afternoon are they are they <sighs> and I'm, i was a complete blank because i got sort of whisked up in doing this um canopy thing for the conservatory and and so I was just completely out of it like my mind was out of it and I, I for to all intents and purposes I wasn't in touch with the Lord at all so when I got up this morning after praise God having had a decent night's sleep this time because the night before it's just forget it sleep what's that um I've got a headache I felt that I wanted two matchsticks to keep my eyes open. You know, it was absolutely appalling. Um, but the first thing I did was began to declare his immutability. I began to thank him for the fact that he didn't change. Thank him for the fact that, I, though I felt like a piece of chewed string, it had diddly squat to do with what was going on and that he was no different. I'd remembered enough the night before to say, can I have fresh bread for the girls in the morning, please? That was all. And then I, rem I said, Lord, I did ask for fresh bread, but I'm not searching around for it. If you haven't got anything you want to say, that's fine. I've just, I'm, I'm past the stage of feeling I've got to, got to, got to, got to get something. <laughs> and I'm sitting in the corner there. I don't know how it happened. Do you ever know how it happened with a cup of tea on my lap there? And suddenly I spilt it, didn't I? All down my dressing gown, all on the floor. Shit, says I. And I said, oh, sorry, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> and mopped it up. Ah, <laughs> ah, oh, oh, flip. And I was put in mind of that story, you know, that uh, some of you have heard uh, a friend of ours wrote. It was about the pastor that got this wonderful word from the Lord and he was God's man of power for the hour. And as he put his foot on the first step to get up to the three steps for the pulpit, he slipped and hit his head on the pole and out came this word. He got into the pulpit and said to everybody, I'm very sorry, I can't bring the word of the Lord this morning. 
and turned round and went out. Of course, the whole church had heard him use this word, and it's quite funny the way he says it, you know, um, what happens round the church. And eventually, about three or four days later, he plucks up his courage to go into his study and speak to the Lord about his misdemeanor. So the Lord says to him virtually, I wasn't bothered about what come, came out of your mouth, which incidentally comes out of your mouth several times a day. <laughs> Not mine, it doesn't, I have to say. That one was a while off, or once a week off, uh, whenever it happens off. Uh, and uh, um, the Lord said, I wasn't bothered about that. It's called the use of bad language. This little story is called the use of bad language. He said the bad language that you used was saying that you couldn't bring the word of the Lord. God had given him a word and he wouldn't bring it because he thought he had tripped up. So he quenched the word that God had got to give. <laughs> ah, so I don't know where that all took us, but there we are. That's the, w that's the way of it. So what? What I did, as I say this morning, I praised and worshipped and thanked him um, for who he was. Not for anything he was going to do, but for who he was, because it's who he is. And he doesn't change. I'm finding such a blessing in just meditating on the fact of who he is. He doesn't change. You can take his omniscience, his omnipotence, his sovereignty. You take what you like, his omnipresence, and think about it. We think about anything else, so have a little think about that for 10 minutes. Because now the first thing that occupies and engages me in the morning is the fact you haven't changed a bit how you feel towards me. No matter what I do, whether I come up to my standard or whether I don't, you haven't changed. It's a wonderful place of security. I don't go out of my way to trip people up, be rude, fall, swear when I've dropped a cup of tea. Joyce doesn't know. Well, I did sort of quietly mention it, that I spilled tea on the carpet. But it's not on the carpet, it's on my little sheepskin rug, so that's all right. Didn't go on the carpet, which belongs to the landlady. So that's all right. So I've done my bit of confession, but I'm not altogether certain she heard me. <laughs> I said it to her retreating back. Spilled on my tea this morning. <laughs> So distress and development work together. And we will find ourselves in the grave. I mean, because he's killing something off in us. And our soul, soul man is starved off so that our spirit man can begin to rise. And truly, we can go around this as often as we like. But the fact is, until we learn to be still and worship him for who he is, Never mind about our circumstance or how unable we feel, because we are unable, we cannot do it, we are weak, we are vulnerable, we are insecure, we can't do this thing, but isn't it brilliant? He can. So we've really got to recognise, like Paul says, in me dwells no good thing. And he wasn't being falsely humili false humility. He was just saying, I recognize that it's the power of God that is at work in me, not me. So whatever circumstance you're up against right now, God is doing something in that cycle of transformation. He's declared something over your life and immediately you will go into a time of distress and you think, here, hold on, this isn't going the way I thought it should. But if we use that distress properly, it will develop us and then we'll have a demonstration. 
but otherwise will stay stuck in the distress and so, but until sooner or later the light bulb goes on and we see that God's got a purpose in this. So really, in relation to your question, Carol, it doesn't matter who's doing what to whom at the end of the day, it's our reactions or responses that govern our progress forward. Now, I want to be a responder, not a reactor. A reactor fires in the situation, boom, straight in. But a responder will hold that, get before God and say, hold on to me, otherwise I'm going to go for it here. And if you say that, it's like, I mean, that classic mum with the car, June knows she was here. <laughs> or she was on the other end of the phone. What's his phone number? I don't know. She said, I've never heard you like that before. Well, I'm having a carnal moment. <laughs> not a pretty sight but you can come to the place where if you draw a circle and ask the Lord where the line is down the middle of that circle you can see how much of, the, of your life the Holy Spirit has you know it might be a little bit it might be half of it three quarters of it but the more you actually side with the Holy Spirit against your old nature the more your righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Ghost will grow. You won't grow righteousness, peace and joy when you're doing things that are totally against the Holy Spirit. won't do it. It's not cross with you, anything. It just thinks, I wish I could, you could get this lesson because it would help you so much if you could understand what I'm trying to do. I'm forming Christ in you. It's lovely, isn't it? No, I don't like it. You just hit another nerve. And you just got hold of something else that I'm not prepared to let you have. He's got his hand down your handbag and he's saying, what's this down, what's this in here? Just, no, 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 you don't, you don't want to know what that is. No. Oh, but I can feel something down at the bottom of the handbag here. Wait a minute. You're thinking, get your hand out of my handbag. Oh, there's uh, something else. I mean, there are so many circumstances in the body of Christ right now, and they cover right the whole spectrum from sexuality to possessions to image to, to rejection to you name it. It's right the way across the board. It's all popping up. And the other night, I felt quite sort of, Lord, I said, I, I can't handle this. They're all different, all different problems. I'm hearing about all of them. I don't know what to say. And I was reminded of one, this particular one, of Corrie Ten Boom. Has anybody ever heard about Corrie Ten Boom and this torch? Well, she's got this torch and she's up on the stage and she pushes the torch and hmm, no light. Takes the end out, pulls the battery out, pair of tweezers, oh, love of money. It's in the way, see? Puts that down, puts it back on, turns it on. Still won't come on. And does it goes through the performance again? Ah, love of fashion. And so she goes on, getting these things out of the torch that are stopping the light shining. <laughs> Whatever it is that has got you right now, it has you. You don't have it. I keep gotta gotta keep saying that because whatever is your dearest thing that you want to possess is possessing you. And God will strip you of it because it's killing you. That is, it will strangle you because you can't get through that narrow place with it strapped to your back. 
So only you know, or if you don't know, ask the Lord what it is. What is it that's got me? What's holding me? What is it that I think is mine that I can't let go of and it's actually, it's, it has me? It does, it has me. And then you come out and you go, you pop out the other end once he's got you to let go of that thing. Could be anything. It's not a once for all because then comes the other thing that he finds in the bottom of the handbag there and he's scrambling around to get hold of. It's a bit sharp, it's a bit prickly in here. You know, it's a bit, well, it's, it's only my mother's jewellery, you know. There's no harm in that, is there? It's right in the bottom of the back. I, I just feel, I, what I'm feeling is quite, I literally can feel something in the bottom of the bag and it's a bit sharp and pointed and it feels like it's got a bit of a chain on it and, and I'm trying to grab it and get, out, get hold of whatever, whatever it is. But it's precious. It's precious. Mine. But it doesn't, you don't have it. It has you. So he's going to divest you of that till like Graham down the hole, digging, I was telling the story earlier for those who weren't here, of Graham digging, the, digging graves when he was a bit hard up for money. He went and took a job as a grave digger and one wet morning when he's standing in six inches of water, someone took the ladder away. While he was at one end of the grave, they thought it was ever so funny to take the, the ladder away. He doesn't tell you when the ladder came back. I thought, I would just have been so petrified, stuck down a grave. <sighs> I would have been terrified. Of course, he couldn't get up. The sides were sheer. He couldn't get out of it. I was thinking of that, Joyce, when they dug that hole outside for the boot room, I'll call it what you will. And uh, that was a bit like a bit like a grave, you know, about seven foot long and about six foot deep and clay. Still don't know how the man got out of it. So cycles, and we will go through them, and we might be in several at once. As I said earlier on, we can feel like we're in a washing machine on the on the spin cycle because if he's got us all in in different cycles at the same time and that's n being God he can he's, he's simultaneous he's not uh, he doesn't go for just one thing at a time he'll have you in several cycles at once but it will be good at the end of the day like Joyce Mayer going round and round in the uh, microwave <laughs> and he's looking at her as the heat's increasing and she's saying get me out of here so we'll all be in some form of distress if there's been a declaration over our lives, which there has. I mean, the number one declaration is that he's going to conform you to the image of Christ. That is going to cause some distress, let me tell you. Because like the man who said about the piece of marble and he was going to do a horse and the other man said, well, how are you going to get a horse out of that? He said, I'm just going to knock off every bit that doesn't look like a horse. So when he gets his hammer and chisel out and he starts knocking off the bits that don't look like Jesus, just know that that's what he's doing. And it's okay. He's in control. Yeah, that's it. Fear, terror, shock and horror. Yeah. <laughs> it's then that we realize how much we've protected ourselves from the hand of God himself. The enemy is not our worst enemy. You know, we are. We've seen the enemy and he is us. Uh, and until we realise that we cannot lay it at the feet of the devil, most of the time it's our fallen nature. 
So we need to, to be honest with ourselves and say, Lord, this is me. I don't like it. We have to come to the place where we actually don't like it. Uh, we just have to come to the place where we look at it. I remember, I've told you the story before, where God brought me to the place where there was at least twice. Once I wanted to say I felt like Gideon and out of my mouth came Esau. And I said, what did I say that for? He said, because you're selling your spiritual inheritance for a mess of pottage. This is years ago when I was still living at my own home in Ash Green. Uh, and I was working at Bexley. And I'm beginning to understand what he meant about inheritance and how I was selling for... What I was moaning about was the fact that Stephen wasn't bringing any money in. He was earning, but he wasn't helping me. Uh, and so I was moaning to the Lord big time about the fact that we were short. And I wanted to say, I feel like Gideon, you know, getting less and less. And the outcome, I feel like Esau. It was a real shock to my system when he told me why I felt like Esau. What do you mean? You're selling your spiritual inheritance for a mess of pottage. You, got, you want what you want in your hand just to make things easier right now. And that exchange will cost you your inheritance. I'm beginning to... I don't, couldn't say understand, but you know I've been banging on about inheritance for a while now. It's something we need to understand. We need to understand about what it means to be kingdom people, and we need to understand what our inheritance is, because we will never live the lives that God wants us to live if we don't understand those things. And then the other time was when I flung out of bed and said, I wanted to say, I'm sick and tired of Nick. He was my boss. What came out of my mouth was, I'm sick and tired of me. What? And the Lord said, well, he's not the problem, you are. That went down like a rat sandwich as far as I was concerned. As far as I was concerned, he was all of the problem. Go to work at half past seven in the morning, not come home till half past seven at night and still not get the lot done. So he was the problem. And I, I said, Lord, I don't understand. I've got to do this work. I've got to do this job. Because I need it because of the economics of the situation. So why is it? Well, you're the problem. Mm. So it's never the other fella. And if we find ourselves going from situation to situation to situation to try to get ourselves into something more comfortable because the people don't suit us or the work doesn't suit us or whatever you put your fill your own thing in there god is pursuing you let me tell you that is what is happening he has got you into a pressure cooker because he wants to deal with something in your life and you keep going out like a bar of soap gone i was listening to bob mumford uh, the other it was a tape, wasn't it? Yeah, I was listening to him and he says, Has God ever, he said, uh, brought the fire <laughs> on, I don't know how he makes the noises, onto the work that you're doing? He said, I'm 35, I've built this thing, it looks pretty nice to me. May not have had a terribly solid foundation, but the God, God comes along. He was talking about, uh, I think it's 1 Corinthians 6, where it says, Any man's work will be burnt. He said, and suddenly, gone. God blew on it. Just the whole lot. He said, God, that's my life's work there. 
we'll have another go. You know, you weren't pleased with it. No, it wasn't built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. It was built on the foundation of what you wanted. I think it's in the same context as he got this little church going that God had told him to start. And a prophetic word came saying that God was coming round feeling under the leaves for fruit. Feeling for fruit. So I thought, that's good. And then the rest of the word came, but he's not finding any. <laughs> All he's finding is leaf. What? False prophet. Immediately, false prophet. So he said, reluctantly he got before the Lord to ask if this was the case, and the Lord said yes. It's all top show, it's all leaf. We've got a tree out there. It's not going to bear fruit because it's not on the right stock. It's come from a pip. Leaf by the thousand. Beautiful canopy of green leaves. Little apple tree. You will not find an apple on it. So he don't come looking for leaves. What did he do when he saw the fig tree? He came looking for fruit. And the fig tree, of course, was symbolic of Israel. He came looking for fruit from Israel and he didn't find any. So he cursed it. And it withered and died. But he come looking for fruit in your life. Don't, don't go making leaf. You remember uh, Martin last week talking about vineyard? I don't know if he talked about the fact that it, if, it's, if it's not pruned hard back, it will go all over the place and make wood and leaf and no fruit. And he has to bring it back to very small. When I was... Uh, things it, things with God, you know, you don't always understand until often it's years later you understand what he's talking about. Like all those years ago, what am I talking about? 16, 17 years ago when he said you're selling your spiritual inheritance for a mess of pottage. I understood on one level what he was talking about then, that because I was more concerned about money than about the kingdom, I was selling my my spiritual inheritance. forgot where I was going then. Uh, that's it. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, years later. That's it. Years later. That, thank you. Years later, things come to fruition and you understand. Years and years ago, I mean, when I was a young Christian... And, and and things were happening, you know, uh, it was incredible. And I saw the side of a house and this rose in absolutely full bloom at the side of the house. It was pink. It went from the ground to the peak of the house. This, And I thought, oh, isn't that lovely? The next picture I get is six inches or less. Cut right back. I thought, hey. And the Lord said to me, Got to prune it, otherwise it won't flower next year. I sensed the pruning shears around my around my sensitive parts right now. That God is pruning me back for more fruitfulness, but now I know what they are there for. That's okay. So I understand the process of God. All this is about understanding the process of God, understanding what He's doing with us. Because we can't cooperate if we don't understand. If we understand, we're halfway to cooperating. Some of us can go round and round and round the same situations, either because we cannot or we will not understand what he's doing. He's trying to prize something out of our sticky little hands, and we will not let go. Because we've got this fixated idea that we know what we should be doing in this situation, and we are not going to change our minds because we cannot see 
what that change would look like. So God has to keep bringing us round it. And you're faced up with it and you're hanging on to it even tighter. He's trying to get you to let go of something because he's actually got a better way of doing it. I was looking, I'm always looking at half a dozen things at once, at the whole issue of rejection this morning. And I said, Lord, this is such a, a big thing and I'm going to have to say things that people ain't going to like. Because with both woundedness and rejection, it's perfectly possible to wear these things as a cloak. So we've become so used to wearing that garb and reacting in that way that the thought of actually letting go of it is scary because we would not know what to replace it with. So there is safety in our bondage. There is safety in our reactions because that's the way we've always reacted. And we perceive ourselves as being the wounded person, the wounded one, the one who has been offended against, little realizing that in our responses we are being offensive to God. Because we're actually reacting out of our old nature, which is not pretty, and putting ourselves out with him because we're not living in the spirit, we're living in the flesh. So when we want to walk out of something like rejection, we've actually got to hear some hard words. And the hard words are that the truth when it comes is always negative. I want you to write that down, please. The truth when it comes is always negative. You don't say, oh, whoopee, God has just put his finger on an area of my life and I'm going to have to change. You say, what? You don't know what I've been through and what people have done to me. You don't know. The truth is always negative. When the lady, bless her, tentatively sent me a picture of me with my cardigan and the pocket going up in flames, and she's saying to me, you need to pray and ask the Lord what this is. Well, I was irritated. So that was the first thing. Irritation. Oh, flipping heck, here I am in the middle of a very stressful job and she sends me a picture that I can't make a blind bit of... I said, in the end, it's no good, dear. You're going to have to tell me what this is all about. I have not got a clue. So then she comes up with another conundrum. Can fire be carried in the bosom and a man not be burnt? Okay, good one, Proverbs, nice, thank you, dear. Look, will you just come out straightforward with what it is you're talking about? Well, when I was with you, you seem to be drinking rather a lot. What? Well, I prayed about it. What? And the Lord said that you're drinking too much. What? My reaction was not, praise the Lord, he's just put his finger on something I've got to stop doing. It was what? The truth when it came was negative. What had happened was that I had, God had won ground for me. He'd taken me off the drink when I was first saved and I was dry for 10 years. Then I came into this job here, which is stressful because you get the sharp end of it all. It's stressful. So I went back to de-stressing in the only way I knew. First of all, I'd have a little sherry. 
with a little drop of ice in, in a little tiny glass. I ended up half pint glass, sherry, bottle of wine, no problem. That would go down the hatch in an evening. And she happened to have been here when we had wine on the table. She didn't want any, her husband didn't want any. Joyce, guess who got to drink it all? And I was quite agreeable by the end of the evening. I didn't see. I couldn't see. And the truth when it came was negative. So watch out for it. Watch out for the way you react. Because your, your, your hackles will go up. You will think, those people are so insensitive. They don't know what I've been through. <sighs> but I got before the Lord and I said, Okay, Father, what are you saying? And he gave me the scripture, I think it's in Matthew. Uh, I will not drink of this wine until I drink it with you in the kingdom. It was the communion night. And he said to me, will you, will you stop? He didn't tell me to stop. He said, will you stop? I said, yeah. From that day to this, I've not had another drop. That's why I'm dry. That's why I don't drink. Because I'm going to drink it with him in the kingdom. That's a good choice. He didn't have to fight me over it. I came before him. He gave me the choice. He will give you the choice. But your choices will govern your spiritual inheritance. Whether you get it or whether you don't. Whether you miss what he's got for you and he's got good things. So always got to see no matter what circumstance you're in, that he's got good things. As I said at the beginning about Joyce's problem. And, you know, I mean, I've been in that one so many times I, that I thought this time I'm going through this in peace because if, if, if Joyce is knocked out of the arena, it's your purposing if she is. If she's got to put her feet up for three months, it's your purposing. I've got no agenda here. This is your agenda. But I'll tell you, we work to our agendas, whether we realize it or whether we don't. We have got an agenda, and it's our priority. And when it, God doesn't line up with that, and other people are not lining up with what we want, watch what our reactions are like. Running hither and yon. So problems either confirm the fact that we're living in Christ, or establish the fact that we aren't at this moment. Simply by our reaction to events or response to the Holy Spirit. And these events are a rugged test of our desire for the Lord. They indicate fairly pointedly just where the wellspring of our life is located. In our spirit, which is a godly response, or in our soul, a carnal reaction. So we get to be able to see what the difference is. We cannot avoid the tests and trials that God will take us around. And we ha but we have got to learn to come at them with a different attitude. Otherwise, we're making ourselves miserable. Because he's got us in this process, in these cycles of intimacy. And the fact is, you see, every cycle is intended to bring you into a closer relationship with him. Then we come back to dirty six. One day a week, we go to church. We're worshipping. 
We're thanking him. We're praising him. We're listening to the message. Nice message. Nasty message. Didn't think much of that, did you? Visiting speaker. Yeah. Home again. Monday to Saturday. Life goes on. So we get in the cycle of church. We don't live it seven days a week. We live it one. And the rest is dirty six. In other words, we do what we want to do ourselves. For those of you who weren't here, we started off by talking about worship. And worship is not about the music. It's not about the lead singer. It's not about the choir. It's about surrender. Because if you look at the, almost the first act of worship, the first act was Noah. He came out and he uh, built an altar to the Lord and sacrificed. Worship and sacrifice go together. We were talking about Abraham and when he went up to Mount Moriah and it says that he worshipped. There he worshipped. What was his act of worship? Laying on the altar the thing that he loved the most. And I'll tell you girls, the thing that you love the most will be yourself. That is the thing that will have to crawl up onto the altar. And along with that will be anything you're holding on to. And also for those who came a bit late, I've been talking about this. You don't have it it has you. Anything you cannot freely let go of has got you. And God will get you into the narrow place. We were talking about the, the needle's eye and the camel going through it. Gate in the wall of Jerusalem. And the camel had to, everything had to be taken off the camel. He had to get it down on its knees and shove it through the hole. Because the main gate would be closed at night time because of marauders. And if you're coming up with a camel loaded the person on guard could well look after you. They could see to you if you happened to be an enemy. So everything had to be taken off the camel. Everything has to be taken off of us so that we go through the cross and out the other side. The cross is not the end. It is the beginning because you come into resurrection life. The reason that the cross is not preached is that people think it's death. That's it. No, once you're through that and none of it has a hold on you, he can give it back to you, good measure, pressed down, running together, running over in your lap. He can give it back to you when he can trust you with it. But all the while we hold on to it, it stays little, sticky, stuck in our paw. <laughs> Derek Prince says we will hang on to things in our sticky little hand, little realising if we let them go, God will multiply. So we will look after ourselves. We will treat ourselves. We deserve it, don't we? I will buy for me. I will look after me. I will have these things. When God just desires that you give that over to him and he will fate you and look after you in a way that will break your heart. But all the time that you try to be your own provider, you're digging your own cisterns, you're staying little, undeveloped, like a pip. You're not actually growing into a tree that is fruitful. For when that tree grows and it is fruitful, guess what? It feeds others. That's what it's there for. Your whole life is to be one of fruitfulness, abiding in the vine, his grapes, his fruit, other people can come and pick of your fruit because it's not for you, it's for them. So we come into the whole issue of self-love, which is eros, self-referential love, 
me and mine, possessive. My daughter-in-law's the one. My house, my daughter, my car, my this, my that, my room, my this. I've never heard anyone who prefaces everything with my. And I'm thinking, it's your husband that earns all the money for all these things, which is my son, of course, by the way. Um, but it's all got... And now, of course, the, the little one, I actually heard her say on Sunday, my daddy. My daddy says, son, so, so, so. she went and say something to me, Shell, and she said, my daddy says, so. I thought, what a strange way for a child to speak. You would think it would say, daddy says, son, so, 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 but it's my daddy says. And she's getting the possessive. The world is all about the possessive out there. It's what can I get? What's that that book? Um, men are from, no, men are from Mars, women are from Venus, and the subtitle is how to get your needs met through other people. Ah. So the subtitle to the Bible is how to meet other people's needs through yourself. Koinonia. Bob Mumford's description of koinonia is break off a piece of yourself and give it to me. And that is where we've got to go. What we're supposed to be studying here on, <laughs> on a Monday is fellowships. Uh, it's like God said, forget that bit, I'm doing this. I got my fellowships notes out this morning and it was, just forget it. I've got fresh bread, hot bread, they need to hear this. Because we're going to come into this whole thing about eros and agape. Eros, self-referential. It's love with a hook. And it's that hook that will hold things that are ungodly to us because we think we need them. Agape love is straight. It's giving. It's going that way. It's going out. It's giving, giving of yourself to others as the Lord leads. It's not... It's not indiscriminate meeting every need. I would be absolutely exhausted if I met every need that came up here. I have to find out which need God wants to meet through me because it's not my life, it's his. This is what we miss. It's no longer two lives to be lived but one that is his through me. We miss completely that we are actually bought at a price. We'll see it when we look at the Jewish wedding ceremony. The bride price has been paid. We are the bride. We've been bought at a price. It's much better to come into everything that God has got for us willingly than to, to come kicking and screaming. And, and with the nail marks coming. Joyce used to say you could see her nail marks coming along through the... <laughs> where she'd resisted. Resistance is painful. We come the easiest way. He takes us the easiest way we will come. It's governed by how, how much we will actually surrender to him. Thank you. Okay. Surrender's the name of the game then. God bless you and thank you for listening.